Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. You can be seated. We are in our second week in this new sermon series. You see the title graphic on the screen. The series is called Signs to Believe, the Miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of John. At the end of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John the Apostle writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, that is the ones he's recorded, these are written for this purpose, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so last week as we began this series, we uh, shared that John records seven in particular signs. Again, these are miracles, but they're not just Fancy shows of power, you know, displays of deity. Uh, they, they, are, they are signs. They are meant to point beyond them themselves so that we would believe. And we're going to talk about that word again today. It, it comes from a word that means to have trust, to have faith, belief. Anytime you see believe, faith, trust, most likely in your Bible, it's the same root word. And we need to remind ourselves of that. These Stories, these miraculous accounts are so that we would believe, trust that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the the promised anointed one, the Son of God. And that by believing or trusting, we would have life in his name. Life one day, yes, with him, but but life now, eternal life now. I mentioned uh, this next slide last week as well. We'll look at it once more, at least today. Uh, Don Carson, he writes that Jesus' miracles, okay, the signs, they're never simply naked displays of power, still less these neat conjuring tricks to impress the masses, but signs, significant displays of power 
that point beyond themselves to the deeper realities that could be perceived with the eyes of faith. So that is what we're looking at as we lead up toward Easter over the next now seven weeks or or so. And today we want to talk about genuine belief, genuine belief, or we could call it authentic faith. I'm going to call it genuine belief. Some of you uh, might recall, uh, it's, we've done it several years as a church, but around Christmas time, uh, many of us would get together and go to the Windsor Town Green uh, for Christmas time. Raise your hand if you ever went with some of the Soma families. Uh, the Christmas tree is on the town green, and then it snows, like all of a sudden at a certain time. Okay, a few of you recall. Um, that's not authentic snow, just in case you were wondering. Um, it's, it's a cool little trick with soap. Um, but yesterday I drove with some in my family. It's hard to see on the screen. Uh, where's Waldo? That's what you're trying to see. Um, or where's Luther? Um, you see the little red dot. Uh, that's Ginger. Okay. And Luther is just a little bit above uh, in shorts and slides and uh, a blue shirt. So this is taken uh, just north of Cloverdale because uh, we were looking for genuine snow, because we've been enjoying it. We've seen it on Annadale and other places, but uh, we didn't want to go hiking into it quite like that. And, and so we drove a little bit, and, uh, and so here's a little closer shot uh, of them. And so this is, you know, it's the real deal. It's, this is right on the Russian River, too. That's what's crazy. Literally, right off the freeway uh, north of Cloverdale um, to find genuine snow, um, but of course, it's nothing like this compared to this. That's my, bro- my brother's dog up in Tahoe. And that's some genuine snow, right? Um, and uh, that was last month. Um, my brother's dog named Doug, D-U-G, um, experiencing some genuine snow, right? The, the, the fake stuff in Windsor is okay. It's okay for a fun little event, especially when the kids are little and the little blower soap machine kicks on and makes some snow. But it's nothing like genuine snow. Nothing like genuine snow. Well, so this morning, uh, this, this story that Callie read, this account uh, of Jesus healing this official son, what is it pointing to beyond itself? Beyond just that Jesus cares for a dad? And that's very real. We're, we're going to talk about that. I believe it, it's pointing to this, this idea of genuine belief. Um, two, two authors, Carter and Redberg, um, they, they write this about the account. That this story, this account of the healing of the official son reveals what authentic faith, what I'm calling this morning, genuine belief looks like. We see in this account genuine belief. And, and in particular, three things. Um, genuine belief is not Spiritual curiosity, genuine belief, number two, is not an emotional feeling. And then number three, genuine belief is not a single decision. And I think that's a pretty good outline, and so I'm going to use it and borrow it from these guys as we, as we move through this, this account. So if you haven't, open to John 4. Let's dive in and let's take a look at genuine belief, the healing of an official son, From the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. So if your Bible is similar to mine, I've got headings. Uh, Mine are 
on the side, but often they're written right above. And these aren't inspired. The gospel writer, in this case, John, didn't decide to, you know, stop his writing and then, you know, double or, you know, bold cap, write a heading, you know. We've talked about that, but it is important to remember that. Um, the headings, the numbers, those things came later by editors, and it's, it's helpful. It helps us find things. So in my Bible, the heading, Jesus heals an official son, comes at verse 46. But we're needing to back up a few verses because like so much in the scripture, context, context, context makes all the difference. And so it's important for us to understand this, this healing, this official and this miraculous display of God's power comes after John 4. And many of you know, glorious story in John 4. This is the, the story of, of Jesus uh, heading through uh, the region of, of Samaria. So if we back up a little bit, um, last week we were in John 2. There was this wedding uh, up in the Galilee area where Jesus was from. Uh, but then that, that happens, that first sign. But then Jesus and his followers, they make their way south down to Jerusalem, to the Judea area. And, and a lot goes on in the rest of John 2. Of course, John chapter 3, another famous uh, account. Some of you will know Jesus with Nicodemus, um, the, the famous account of uh, Jesus explaining to Nicodemus that um, people need to be born again, born from above. And that blows his mind because he knows, you know, basic laws of nature that people can't be physically born twice. And Jesus uh, explains, no, this is a spiritual birth. Uh, this born again is not physical, but it's from above. And then John 3.16 and, and what follows, which again, that's where we'll be tonight, Sunday night theology, the love of God, an important doctrine, an important attribute of God, but one that we can get skewed in if we're not careful. So I hope, I hope you'll come. Uh, John 3 ends with uh, Jesus uh, and his followers needing to go. Um, they're heading back north to Galilee, but they have to go through Samaria, which again, just briefly, um, most Jews in the time of Jesus, they would do everything they can to avoid going through Samaria. Um, it, was, it was a racial and prejudicial opinion about the Samaritans. And so even though it was the direct route to get from Jerusalem up to Galilee, they would go out of their way around to avoid the Samaritans. Of course, we never go out of our way to avoid any people uh, in our day. Of course we do. But that's not the point. The point is, it says in John 4, Verse 4, and he had, speaking of Jesus, he had to pass through Samaria. And then the account is of them getting uh, to this town and, and Jesus' followers going to look for food and whatnot. And then Jesus has this amazing conversation with this Samaritan woman. Um, so amazing that she comes to believe in him and then her whole family comes to believe in him. And... Uh, and actually, so look now at verse 39 of John 4, and this will get us into our context for the, the morning. John 4:39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
where he had told her, or where she reported that he told me all I ever did. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And then it goes on to say, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Did you catch that in verse 39? Many believed. In verse 41, many believed. Many Samaritans believed. There's a mini revival that took place there in Samaria. But the problem, as it relates to our story, our account this morning, Samaria isn't Jesus' home. It's not his hometown. It's not his home region. It's not his country. And so that then gets us set up for this, this first point this morning. Genuine belief, genuine belief, is not spiritual curiosity, but actual commitment. So let's take a look at verses 43 through 45 as we get into this first section. After two days, he departed from where he is in Samaria for Galilee. And then we have this parenthetical statement, verse 44. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Now, it's, it's kind of a weird set of verses, to be honest, and this sets up what we're about to hear, this, this sign that Jesus does. But here's what we have to, to note, and you can keep your finger there in John 4 and go back to John 1.11. John 1.11 says, He came to his own, Jesus came, right? The God-man came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And now back here in chapter 4, at verse 44, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So what seems to be going on is that uh, he came to his own, and even though there were some cool things that happened, of course, in John 2, last week we saw that first sign, and in John 2, 11, it says that the disciples believed in him. Yet, if you keep reading in chapter 2, there's all kinds of challenges by the religious leaders to Jesus. In fact, even his disciples fail to understand some things. Um, then it, it appears that there's many who believe who, in fact, turn away. They're, they're, um, again, it seems that they just want the excitement. They, they, Jesus is doing things, and they're kind of drawn to you know, the crowd, the, the scene, uh, and, and then, of course, John uh, 3, we have Nicodemus, and we aren't sure at that point if Nicodemus is going to believe. Um, of course, we'll find out later, if we're, we're to keep reading all of John, uh, that he, he would uh, seem to have had genuine faith. Uh, but, but the point is, John, our author, is writing with irony. You see, Jesus' own people, the Jews, who are down in Jerusalem and up in Galilee, they... they don't receive him. It's very superficial. There, there's a spiritual curiosity, but when he goes to Samaria, boy, I mean, again, you heard me highlight it. I'm Verse not sure I understand. 
I wish it said that she thought I had fallen over, but that's close. <laughs> many in Samaria believed, many believed, and, and they, they, it was genuine. But it seems that the Jews in, in Judea and in, up in the north in Galilee, or down in Judea and up in the north, so his home people, okay, the Jews, that, that their, their interest in him is not genuine belief, but it's this spiritual curiosity. Uh, Don Carson, who, who I've already quoted, who we're going to listen to tonight, um, says so well. Let me, let me read this. Wow, once again, Jesus is presented as the one who gives life. That's what we're going to see, right? This miracle is going to save this son. The dark colors that surround the healing, they're projected forward by the account in Samaria and the Samaritan woman by this proverb, this, this statement that a prophet has no honor in his, own, in his own hometown. All of it anticipates this rising polarization in Israel. Jesus may have been popular in Samaria, but as he comes to his own people, his, his own nation, if you will, the Jewish people, whether it's in Judea, in Jerusalem, or up in Galilee, there's this superficial curiosity about him. And that, that curiosity, that public sentiment, that at times is welcoming, and we even read that, right? It, it says they welcomed him, but it seems to be this this curious welcome. And that's going to lead him eventually to Calvary. It's going to be his people that, that reject him eventually. And that's, again, what John unfolds. So I'm trying in, what was it, three minutes to unpack some of the theology and storyline of this whole account as we try to zero in on, on this miracle. So now then, with that context, let's look at verses 46 to 48. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to Jesus and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Let that sink in. A dad hears that Jesus, who had done this sign in the same area, some time before, turned water to wine, had been in Judea, he's returned, and, and he's a dad who's got a son who's ill. And specifically, it's an illness that's at the point of death. And so verse 48, he comes to Jesus and asks him to come down to heal. And then verse 48, and it's, Striking to us. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And, and we're a little bit put off by, <laughs> boy, Jesus, really? Uh, we'll, we'll come back to that verse in a second because it's actually a lot softer than it sounds on, on the surface. Uh, this official that comes to Jesus, um, what's interesting is in Matthew and Luke, there's a different, hear that word, it's, it's another and different account of, of a similar-sounding story where a Gentile centurion 
finds Jesus on behalf of one of his servants, okay? This is different, and it's an altogether separate account. Um, this is a dad. He, he's called an official. Uh, if you have an NIV or a Christian Standard Bible, maybe your translation calls this person a royal official. Uh, the word official, um, it's, it's a Greek word, basilikos, and uh, it sounds very similar to the Greek word for king, which is basileos. Basileikos, Basileos. So probably, probably, this is someone uh, who is an official to a king. But but what kings were around at this time? Well, probably this is Herod Antipas. So one of the Herod line, okay? Who, of course, uh, was not properly a king, um, but popularly, uh, you might say, he had been considered one. And so... Uh, we're not sure if he's a Gentile. We just know that this is an official, someone who very likely um, is connected to a king, and it might be connected to Herod Antipas. Okay, and he he comes to Jesus, my son, my son is ill. Come down. So so the Sea of Galilee is I think like 600 feet below sea level, something like that, crazy low. And so any of the towns are usually up a bit. So wherever Jesus has you know traveled to Cana, and and so this guy comes and says, "Come down." It might literally be like, "Come down to my town. Come to where my son is sick." But then we have verse 48. Jesus saying, "Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe." Like, whoa, Jesus, why are you getting on the guy's case? Well. If you have a Bible, physical Bible, hopefully you have uh, a little footnote, and, and I'm thankful for the editors that help us out, because we, we could miss something that is right here in the text. So verse 48, Jesus said to him, unless you, and then there's a little footnote number one that goes down to the bottom and says, the Greek for you is plural, twice in this verse. What does that mean? That means this dad comes to Jesus and says, my son is sick. Come down and heal him. He's about to die. And Jesus says to him, and yet he's talking to everybody. Jesus says to all of them, unless you all see signs and wonders, you all will not believe. You see, this is what what sets up this contrast what his own, his people, that, that, that welcome him, but they just seem to be wanting, you know, curiosity. Um, it, it's a contrast to what happened in Samaria. And, and then in the middle of it is this dad who seems to genuinely understand who Jesus is. We'll see that in a second. But Jesus, again, he, he's going to do a sign. He's going to take care of this dad's son and the need. But he's speaking to y'all. He's, he's speaking to y'all. Unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Because that's what had been happening with his own people. Oh, they were excited because things were were happening. Uh, This is a rebuke, not to the dad, but to those that have this spiritual curiosity, not actual commitment. And, And genuine belief, true belief, actual faith, it's not just a curiosity, an attraction to a, you know, a celebrity, but, but it's, it's, it's commitment. And we're going to see that uh, displayed here in, in the dad. So, so then the second movement of, of this text, the next thing we see about genuine belief, it's not an emotional feeling, 
but it's informed belief about Jesus. It's not strictly only emotional, but it's informed belief about Jesus. So verse 49, we have a repeat, if you will. The official said to him, right? Jesus has just rebuked the crowds, but now the official says to him, sir, come down. He he repeats himself. Come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, now Jesus addresses him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. If you are not afraid to mark up your Bible uh, and use a pencil, it's always safer. But again, you could just start it in John 4, where, where I started reading earlier the story of the Samaritans at 39, and just circle believe. Because that, that word, John is wanting us to see that. Who believed? Who believed? What was the nature of it? And then Jesus says, hey, unless you all see signs, you don't, you know, that's, what, that's the nature of your belief. But we see here in, in this dad um, that genuine belief is not an emotional feeling, but it's informed belief about Jesus. All Jesus says is go. And, and John writes that this man believed the word, just the word that Jesus spoke and he went on his way. Carter and Redberg write, the dad trusts Jesus and his trust is more than an emotional response. His trust is based on something concrete, what Jesus said. How significant. This dad wasn't riding an emotional high. He wasn't responding to the truth. I'm sorry, He wasn't riding an emotional high. He was responding to the truth Jesus proclaimed. The words of Jesus caused this man's faith, his belief. Compare that to what brought about genuine belief, authentic faith in the Samaritans. Back in verse 41, many more believed because of what he said. So it seems that Jesus speaks and this dad believes it. It's, it's concrete. And, and again, did this dad know exactly everything about Jesus? No, but, but as Jesus spoke, this dad knew, I can trust his words, I can believe. Now again, I'm trying throughout this series to highlight things in between the signs, in between the stories. We're not going to go through John, the whole book, uh, as great as it is, at least not now as a church. But in... The first four chapters, um, there are many statements, many things revealed, not just um, acts of Jesus, his signs, right? Turning water to wine and other things, but, but many titles of Jesus come up. And so take a look at the screen. I'm going to highlight eight titles of Jesus that come up in John 1 through John 4, and these all teach us who Jesus is, right? This, this uh, informed belief about Jesus, so in John 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus was announced as the Word, the Logos, the one who could perfectly reveal God to man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is the Word. In John 1.29 and verse 36, Jesus is declared to be the Lamb of God, and that's the one who would 
offer his life as a sacrifice for the sin of each man and woman. In John 1.34, Jesus is called the Son of God. That is the one unique Son who was sent by the Father as a love gift for his people. In verse 38 of chapter 1 and in John chapter 3, verse 2, Jesus is identified as rabbi. It means teacher. And he is one who can perfectly teach us what God is like and how we can be reconciled to him. In John 1.41, Jesus is described as Messiah, Christ, anointed one. And that's one who would completely fulfill all the promises that God had given in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. In John 1.49, Jesus is welcomed as the king of Israel, the one who would sit on the throne one day and rule over his kingdom. In John 1.51, Jesus is called the son of man. This famous phrase from the book of Daniel, where Daniel prophesied there would be one who would have an everlasting dominion that would never pass away. And they would, this, this, this uh, would have people that um, would come from every nation and language who would serve him. And then finally, jumping into chapter 4, verse 42, Jesus is proclaimed to be the savior of the world. He's the one who shed his blood, who would shed his blood to bring salvation to all mankind. Genuine belief is not an emotional feeling. And it's not to discount emotions, okay? But not only emotions. Emotions come and go. Emotions are up and down. But genuine belief is informed belief about Jesus. And this dad, he responds to the word of God. Jesus being God, Jesus speaks, go, your son will live, and he believes, it says, and he goes. And that leads us then finally uh, to the third kind of movement. Genuine belief is not a single decision, but a growing dependence. Not a single decision, but a growing dependence. So look back down at the text, verse 51. As he was going, right? So the man believed, it says in the previous verse, and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them, what was the hour when my son began to get better? And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, that's when the fever left. Verse 53, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. And we already knew that he believed. He believed Jesus' word and he went. But John tells us when he meets up with his entourage that come and they say, your son, he's alive. What time was it? When, when did this happen? And they tell him the hour. He goes, that's when Jesus had said it. And he himself believed. He believed again? Well, he continued to believe because genuine belief, it's not a one-time decision, but a growing uh, relationship, a growing dependence of relationship. Think, think about this. Um, a synonym for Christian is a believer. 
One of my sons likes the song that's on the radio about being a believer. I kept thinking about that this week. But notice um, uh, a synonym for Christians is believer, um, not believed, right? We aren't believed like in the past tense once, believe it did. We're believers. Christians are believers. They, they continue to believe. Maybe there was a first moment of belief when, when God, you know, broke through and drew you to him, but, but it, it goes on. And there's another opportunity to believe and another opportunity to believe. Genuine belief, authentic faith. It's not merely a one-time decision, but, but a growing dependence. And this dad shows that. And then John says to us at the end of, of the account, verse 54, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Now, now what's interesting is um, John, he, he's not interested uh, apparently in, in telling much about other things Jesus did down in Judea. If you read chapter 2, verse 23, um, there, there were other signs happening but, but here he identifies this as the second one, apparently meaning second in Galilee, up in Cana. That's where Jesus turned water to wine. Uh, he goes down to Judea, Jerusalem. Things happen. He's returned. And now this is the second sign that Jesus did. And, and it seems that John has in mind uh, there in that region. And again, it's not that John is trying to create and keep a specific list of all of Jesus' miracles, right? He says there was many more, but these that I've recorded for you I've written so that you might believe, so that you might believe. So church, genuine belief and this sign story, this account of this healing, it's not spiritual curiosity, but it's an actual commitment. Uh, it's not an emotional feeling, but it's informed belief about Jesus. Um, and it's not a single decision, but a growing dependence. There's just a couple other implications I want to draw out as well. And I already kind of touched on this, but this dad is desperate. And I'm a dad, and there's some dads in, in the room as well. And it's easy just to kind of read through it. You know, it's, I don't know, however, 11, 12 verses, and this man came to Jesus and said to him, Jesus, come, you know, and we kind of just, to stop and go, this was a dad who had a son who was sick near death. We've had moments as a family when our kids have been sick and, and we aren't sure. We've had to go to the hospital or, you know, um, and it's a scary moment. And, and you, whether your parents or not, you, you can just imagine and you've had people in your life maybe that you've experienced were there at that place. Uh, this, this man, who happens to be a dad, was, was desperate, and he came to Jesus. He, he came to the one person he knew he, he could go to. Now, this account isn't, isn't a promise that every time we dads or we parents or we that are desperate come to Jesus, he'll say yes to what we're asking. Um, sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is not now. But we are invited nonetheless to look at this genuine belief of this dad 
who, who would come at a, at a moment. But I want to lean into something. I, I read last night, um, just before bed, um, just, I had this book um, by J.C. Ryle. He, he's uh, long since gone to be with the Lord, but a theologian from like 100 plus years ago. And he's just got these great little like devotional sections on uh, sections of John. So I was reading it last night. And he wrote these, these three paragraphs, and it's long, I admit, but I, I want to read this before we, we close with the final song, because I think we need to hear this. So, among other things, J.C. Ryle writes that in this account, we learn that sickness and death come to the young as well as the old. We read of a son sick unto death and a father in trouble about him. We see the natural order of things inverted. The elder is obliged to minister to the younger, and not the younger to the elder. The child draws near to the grave before the parent, and and not the parent before the child. The lesson is one which we are all slow to learn. We are apt to shut our eyes to plain facts and to speak and act as if young people, as a matter of course, never died when they're young. And yet the gravestones in every churchyard would tell us that few people out of a hundred ever live to be 50 years old, while many never grow up to man's estate at all. The first grave that ever was dug on this earth was that of a young man. The first person who ever died was not a father, but a son. Aaron lost two sons at a stroke. David, the man after God's own heart, lived long enough to see three children buried. Job was deprived of all his children in one day. These things were carefully recorded for our learning. He or she that is wise will never reckon confidently on long life. We never know what a day may bring forth. The strongest and fairest are often cut down and hurried away in a few hours while the old and feeble linger for many years. The only true wisdom is to be always prepared to meet God, to put nothing off which concerns eternity, and to live like men ready to depart at any moment. So living, it matters little whether we die young or old. Joined to the Lord Jesus, we are safe in any event. Are we ready, whether we're young or old? Because we don't have a guarantee. Uh, Another famous catechism, we we talked about it last year when we were going through the Heidelberg, uh, but, and and I think actually Heidelberg starts this way. um, What is our one comfort in life and death? And that is for us Christians that we are not our own, but belong body and soul to the Lord Jesus. That's our hope. Not in our young age, not in our health. Uh, I have a good friend. He's a year older than me. Uh, about a month ago, um, I had breakfast with him, and then we were out of town. We are in Orange County, and it worked out that um, I was able to see him again, and we walked around downtown Disney for about 30 minutes with him, took a selfie, and, uh, and this is a guy. Actually, he's preached at Soma uh, in the past. His name's Joe Brown. Um, it's been a while now, but uh, he pastors down south. Um, he was literally having heart attacks right at that, that moment. So I get a message a couple days later, and, and he started to feel things, and he went in, and they ran all the tests, 
And it wasn't like a drop-down heart attack, but as they ran the tests, he was having heart attacks. And he, he's healthy, but it turns out genetics and things that he had no idea about were, were at play and stress that triggered things. Uh, but the point is, if you had come up to us at breakfast, you know, are you guys going to have a heart attack today? As we eat our bacon sandwich, we would have said, of course not. But we don't know. We don't know the things. And this dad in our story has genuine belief. He takes God at his word and he believes I can come to God for my son. And it shouldn't be this way. Parents shouldn't have to be caring for sick kids, but there's no guarantees and we need to be ready. And I just, it's a good reminder even today. Are you ready? Am I ready? Is our trust in our age, our health, or is it in the one who is able to keep us? Would you stand and let's, Let's sing about our hope in life and death, and it's in Christ. And if you have yet to put your belief, your trust, your faith in him, today's the day. Why, why wait? Why, why not today confess and admit that, that you need someone above and beyond and outside of yourself? And, and if you're ready to do that, if God's drawing you to himself, I just invite you, in the quietness of your own mind, just say, God, I give up trying to be God of my life, trying to be in charge, because I'm not, no one is, and I give to you my life. I surrender, forgive me, save me, heal me. And if you do that and God is at work drawing you to himself, please come tell me and we'll, let's help you get some next steps. And, uh, but maybe today's the day for some of you. So Father, now in heaven, we come to you and I know this is a heavy way to end this message, but Lord, we need to be prepared for the day. And I pray we would be. And I pray our hope in life and death would be solely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone here today, in, in the sound of my voice, I pray we would grow to have genuine belief, authentic faith. That we would grow as a church to be a church of genuine faith. Thank you for this account, this sign this healing that points beyond itself. Thank you for the contrast of the Samaritans who believed and it was genuine. May that nudge us to, to believe you like this dad in this, this account today and to listen to your word and, and then to continue to believe and to keep trusting. In Jesus' name.